Hello everybody, welcome to the UK Packers podcast. As usual, I'm your host at NFL on Twitter and of course follow the group at UK Packers. And as usual, I'm joined by B2L buddies when it comes to draft time and hopefully other times as well. Absolute experts is Peter Jones um, at IT Hedgehog and Andy Davies at Pooley Shrew. Peter, what's going on buddy? Steve, I'm good. In fact, I couldn't be, I couldn't be more excited. Three, four days from the NFL draft. Almost the most exciting time of the year. I'm just, I'm pumped, Steve. Well, you almost didn't make it too, because after writing this monster article, this uh, 2019 NFL draft preview, um, you know, doctors were telling you're suffering from exhaustion. You need to calm down, relax. Um, whereas me and Andy, quite relaxed. <laughs> Andy, buddy, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm great. Yeah, I'm just sat here reading Peter's Guide and eating some Easter eggs, so all good. Well, living the dream. Lads, uh, the thing, there's one flaw, one fatal flaw, Peter, in your fantastic draft preview here, and that is, is that we could have done this like a month ago and devoured this type of thing. But at the same time, what we would run into is, is that so much has changed in the in the rankings and news coming out about people and Montez Sweat having more meltdowns and more news about him, um, and me not pronouncing Jakai Polite's name properly and calling him Jackie. I mean, there's loads of stuff that could go on here, so. I guess if people want to read this review, it's on ukpackers.co.uk forward slash, and let me get this right, 2019 draft guide. It's under the blog portion. Um, Pete, it's an outstanding piece of work. It's 55 pages long um, with minimal inputs from myself and Andy. Uh, can you can you walk us through kind of how you put a document this large together and how up-to-date is the document and how often do you find yourself delving back into each player and going, oh, need to change his grade. He's actually dropped because of X reason. So, 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 so I guess it really, it really, it really starts before the college season starts mm. with, you know, with compiling a list of guys, seniors for that year and, and, and other guys that were likely to come out into the draft, you know, the following April. And then, you know, during the college season, it gets kind of pared down and guys get shifted around the board. But it's still quite a loose board during the college season. And I guess, you know, it isn't really until we get into January and the college bowl games have been and gone, national championship game has been and gone. You get more time to kind of start looking at the at the players individually. And I know that's around the time that, that Andy starts looking at the guys in, individually too. And, the, and, you, and you start to you know, um, get them in the order that you like, rank them, you know, the, the way, the way that you like. And, and then later on, as you get the combine and the pro and the pro days, things change a little bit, but not, but not too much by that point. You know, if, if, if something comes out in the combine or, or a pro day, you, you, you're hoping that you've, that you've already catered for that. So you're really just looking for something exceptional that happens around, you know, the March, early April period that, oh, yeah, I need to go back and look at such and such, yeah. such and such, you know, uh, a player, I don't know, like Montez Sweat that you mentioned, you know, was exceptional at the combine. So let's, let's just have another look at this. Is there something in there that we've missed or is it purely he tested very well? Um, so, so it's really, you know, you really get by January, February, you've pretty much got these guys in, in, in the right order, really good feeling for them. And then later on, it's just it's just it's just a matter of, um, 
you know adding some adding some detail around them and just keeping an eye on stuff like what's happening with Montez Sweat and and what have you and um, you know just trying to keep on top of that as much as is possible. Now the thing is, like these podcasts are obviously treat because. Both of you lads are longtime Packer fans, uh, fanatical Packer fans that you know the ins and outs, you know the sort of periphery players uh, going back to the you know 1970s, 1980s or whenever. Um, and on top of that, you are experts at looking at college players. You're really involved with the draft. So when we look at a document like this and when we have a podcast like this and get to have you two lads on, because I put my hands up and say I don't watch college football um and i have an irrational when it comes to the draft i'm the type of guy who usually well i get involved in the excitement and i do sort of you know keep a sideways eye on mock drafts but can you believe it or not i don't think i've ever said this uh, i don't like mock drafts um so andy <laughs> if, we, if we look at a, a document like peters i think he he mirrors an awful lot of the stuff that you've said in the past and what i see you saying at Pooley shrew on twitter where you look at these under the radar guys like what i see in in this type of coverage is players that played really, really well, say in 2017, fell off in 2018 or got injured. So have dropped down draft boards. Now you like your under the radar picks. How many of your under the radar picks usually fall into that category of played really well and fell off? Or how many are under the radar because they play for sort of lower division schools? What sort of constitutes someone who's a diamond in the rough for you? Yeah, it's normally the latter, Steve, isn't it? The smaller school prospects that yeah. tend to get... Um tend to get missed the ones that don't get invited to the combine <clears throat> or the shrine games or things of that ilk i think those are the guys to look out for and particularly where they're in the wrong system whether it's in um, a 4-3 defense 3-4 defense just depend on the body types and things of that nature it's just the uh, fundamental skill sets that you're looking at isn't it and uh, well, you know peter does some unbelievable amounts of work to sort of present the sort of stuff that he has done. He's like one of those guys at school that revises for hours and hours and hours and hours and I'm at the other end of the scale. I, I just turn up on exam day and sort of pull the answers down. <laughs> Two ends of the Richter scale. It's, um, but it's, I don't know, you trust your eyes, don't you? I think that's what scouting's about, isn't it? If you, talk, if you talk to scouts, say it's, it's about trusting your own, your own instincts, isn't it? And that's why there's such a sort of swathe of opinion in terms of players and so many different boards because it is about opinions at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I think I think as Andy says, I think you, you have to trust your own eyes and what's the tape, you know, because especially in the you know in these days of social media, you can read thirty three different things about a particular player in five minutes, you know, and and if you believe everything you read, you know, you'd be all over the place. I think you have to believe what you what you're seeing on tape, and and yes, some of the other stuff's important. And, you know, and and the character concerns and, and injuries and stuff are important, but you also just have to trust your own eyes and and watch the tape. Well, read read the two draft bios of two of the Packers All Pro. So read Aaron Rodgers and read David Bakhtiari's, and then there's no way in the world that you would probably draft either of those two based on some of the draft bios that you picked up. You know, it's just it's and that's why you watch the tape, isn't it? Because when you watch the tape of Bakhtiari and obviously Rodgers, although Rodgers changes mechanics, the ability was there. Um, at the other end of the scale, I think of someone like Marshall Newhouse, who I was never a fan of. Yep. And if you read his draft bio, it was, it was downright awful. <laughs> it was yeah. awful for a reason. And it proved to be, you know, sort of how I wouldn't have drafted Marshall Newhouse. And that's just the way it goes, isn't it? you just got to trust your own eyes, like, as Peter alludes to. He's, he's spot on. And I guess that's what stands out for me as well, because as a guy who doesn't go back and look at these things, 
Um, every bio usually that I read or any scouting report, there's a number of different factors that go on. And Packer fans really need lads like you two lads to look at these type of things because when I look at them without your guidance on, on documents like this and, and the conversations that we've always had in the past and when we banty back and forward about it, um, when I read something, I see a guy who's meant to be drafted in, you know, I don't know, the final round and it's talking about an old lineman, just a really obscure old lineman. Oh, he's great hands and oh, he's great blocking ability. He excels at pass protection. All of this stuff, I'm like, Jesus Christ, like this is the guy to go for. And then he comes in and he's, he's a wet fart, you know? And I'm sort of looking at these <laughs> things going, I wouldn't have saw him and I wouldn't be able to judge him on eyes. I'm just looking at these draft reports and sometimes they all sound great. And you're right about Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I did that Game of Thrones skit on the last podcast so people haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. He, I sort of, you know, take the piss a bit and ask him to exp- describe me. That's him reading out his own draft report that he's too robotic, he's too well schooled, he he panics yeah. under pressure. All of these things that you'd look at Rogers and say, now he plays on the fly, he improvises, he doesn't panic under pressure. His quarterback rating is higher when he's put under pressure, so he's actually doing the opposite now as to what he did before. Now we can get into that they built his mechanics again when he sat behind Brett Favre and all this type of lark. But what I will say is, is that it's a very confusing time out there and i will say there's an awful lot of draft hipsters who are sort of everyone will do a mock draft everybody has oliver or hawkinson or fant or whoever and then you get some guy who'll come up with some just completely off the wall go oh i think they'll we'll draft a quarterback and that's peter where i want to come to you because i know that you are 100 behind this theory right is to draft a quarterback in round one can you explain why <laughs> without swear words <laughs> So, so, yeah. I mean, starting at the quarterback position, I, it it's one of the stranger stories that's been floating around the last few days, last last week or so. That yeah. that you know the Packers may or may not be interested in in a quarterback in round one. Um, to me, it doesn't it doesn't seem to make a lot of a lot of sense. Um, uh, for a number of reasons. I think the first one is you've signed Rogers to to his long extension last year so he's got five years left on that deal you know even if he doesn't play five years he's going to play three or four of those years but barring barring injury and I think he'll play all five by the way um you know barring any uh, any any bad injury um and then um on on top of that to me there aren't quarterbacks in this in this draft who who would justify you know, a high, um, high pick. Um, and then I guess thirdly, it's in this day and age, this isn't 2005. So this isn't when Rogers came in and sat behind Favre for three years, you know, under the current CBA, what you see, what you're seeing teams doing, um, because the rookie contracts are now, you know, paying a lot less than they did 14, 15 years ago that those quarterbacks are coming in they're starting almost immediately, if not in year one, in year two. You know, look at the likes of Patrick Mahomes and Trubisky and, and, and Carson Wentz and Goff and those guys. All of those teams are taking advantage of the fact that I can have my starting quarterback for four or five years on a relatively low deal. So I don't see teams bringing in a quarterback and sitting them for three or four years. I, don't, yeah. I just don't see that, that happening. And then just looking at, at the quarterbacks available in the draft, and we'll probably touch on Kyler Murray in a minute, but he's going to be long gone by the time the Packers pick at 12. Then you're into a, a group of probably three guys, um, Haskins, Locke, 
and Jones, so Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, um, Daniel Jones, who, you know, are mid to late first round picks at best. I, I would I would suggest, and, and you know, and and in some cases, I think I think Daniel Jones, for example, is probably a mid second round pick. Um, so I don't think there's the value there for for those guys either. And I think the Packers have have a lot more urgent urgent needs. Yeah, Andy, crazy talk, quarterback. <laughs> well, Pete is the voice of reason, and that's a that's a reality of it. Kyler Murray's out of the equation. Haskins will be uh, a fit somewhere else. I quite like Drew Locke, but not in the first round. After that, uh, an average crop with with little depth. Hmm. Um, it's not even a conversation piece. I know that the the Packers front office are probably sat there trying to send up smoke signals, saying they're interested in this, that, and the other, but it's. Uh, it's not working. They might be sat there laughing like Mutley. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's not fooling anybody, is it? It's uh, no, not for me, quarterbacks. It's just not the year to do it. So, Andy, um, then what do you think then of the likes of Josh Rosen plucking a quarterback from another team for a third round pick? And also, before the podcast, you did mention the Ron Wolf strategy. Do you want to sort of give a bit of more depth on that? Well, there's two points. I think that. I'd be very surprised if Arizona let him go for a third-round pick. Yeah, uh, it'll happen on draft day, and I would just to save face, if nothing else, that's quite a drop down, isn't it? To, to you know, to move up to a number one pick and then give him away for a third-round pick is not a great look. So I would imagine that it would be minimum second-round pick. I would be surprised if it's not some sort of first round, even if it's of the next year variety. Mm. Um, so I think that's where he'll go. He's probably the best option by a considerable distance if you exclude Murray in this year's draft crop of, of QBs, if you include Rosen. But I don't think mm, I don't think it'd be an option for Green Bay. Um, if there was talent towards the bottom end of the, the draft in terms of QBs, I used to like the Ron Wolf theory that we could bring somebody in, the Ty Detmers and Mark Brunels of this world, uh, draft and develop, which is the, the true meaning of draft and develop, where you sort of raise the value and the the market value for QBs is high, isn't it? So, you know, when you're trading them on, you're picking up serious serious equity for, for people that you've developed and made better players through the coaching of your organisation. And if if we touch on that then, because in this piece, Peter, you pick out Easton Stick and say that you quite like him and that could he be for the Packers. And I guess there's two questions here. Do you think that's realistic uh, late in the draft? And also, on Andy's point, do you think the Brett Hundley affair has really damaged how... You know we're seen as as bringing in a quarterback and drafting him. If Hundley was meant to fill in for Aaron Rodgers, you know quite well, and um, you know Mike McCarthy used to come out and say no, 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 and get angry and say we're happy with our quarterback situation. We have Hundley there. We we invested time in him, and we saw how he turned out. Um, does that damage that type of strategy? Or can we revive that type of thinking? I think it damaged Mike McCarthy. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think I think I think it really did. You know because because it, you know the reputation of being a you know, a quarterback whisperer, if you like. And, and I think that Hundley clearly, let's just say, coming in and not being totally 100% ready to play, I guess is a kind way of talking about that. I think that I think that did some damage. I mean, I, I like, you know, I've long since liked the the take a quarterback in the, in the late rounds and see what you have mm. policy. And, um, you know, I think Eastern Stick fits in into that and, and, and a number of others potentially. Um, I think the, the, the interesting thing and, and what we don't know is, um, you know, how high they really are on Tim Boyle as, as the third string guy. Um, because if you're, if you're just bringing in, you know, 
a guy in the sixth, fifth, sixth or seventh round just to compete with Tim Boyle. If they're already high on Tim Boyle, then it's a pointless pick at that, you know, at that, at that stage. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, and I, I think, you know, I think some of it's going to depend on, on, um, you know, what, what Matt Lafleur wants and, and, you know, and there's, that's a, that's a, that's a big unknown, but yeah, I think it's not beyond the realm, realms of possibility that they that they take a guy in the six, in the sixth or seventh round as a as a as a develop, de, you know, developmental project. But but if if they're just bringing him in to to compete with Tim Boyle, then it's probably a wasted wasted draft pick at that point. Yeah, and we do have a section in the draft guide all about the philosophy, and I guess this adds another wrinkle where we have Brian Gudekunst in there, but now. We have Matt LaFleur, so with these two minds coming together, and Hackett, I guess, to a lesser degree. Uh, and then, you know, who knows what type of input that uh, we had in the defensive side of the ball uh, to what Mike Petten and will he have more of a say this time around? Uh, how much weight will he carry? So there's an awful lot of unknowns there. And just to remind people about what picks that we have, we have two first-rounders, pick 12 and 30. Um, in the second round, 44. Third round, 75. Fourth round, we have two. 140 and 118 and there's no point in going on we'll get into that probably a little bit later um but um in in the piece as well we discuss you know who's going to be hitting free agency and how that kind of comes home to roost i guess and one of them is on offense and we see a ton of o-linemen going but let's focus on aaron jones and jamal williams two running backs um an awful lot of promise I'm not going to say the jury's still out because Aaron Jones is sort of, you know, superstar in the making. Uh, Jamal Williams will probably be brought into that wrinkle. We know that LaFleur likes to utilize running backs, as does Hackett. Um, so again, that's sort of a, a point to look for. There's so many factors to consider, I guess, that both of these guys are tipped to become free agents in 2021. Um, so we have to really ask ourselves, if it's going to be run heavy, what is their durability going to be? Will they be made superstars as a result of that? And when we look at this draft in particular, do we do anything at the running back position or do we stick with what we have for now and worry about that further down the line? Um, how does that take you, Andy? I mean, because you picked out some really off-the-wall running backs the last time around and you predicted how much that we'd keep and it all came true like you were some sort of, uh, you know, there was a seance happening uh, in the room. How how do you feel about running backs in this draft? Um I think we have to take a running back. I think based on what we've seen from Lafleur's offense in previous sport clubs, I think there's there's a, there's a high possibility we take a running back. Mm. I think it's a very much a much uh, the talent level across the running back crop this year is very similar. It just depends what fit you're looking for, I guess. So if you take away Josh Jacobs, who will probably be late first, possibly best case scenario, maybe mid second round option. Um, I like David Montgomery. I have for a long time, but he's he's sort of shooting up draft boards depending on where you look. I think he'll be a good fit for the Packers. Um, I like Miles Sanders from Penn State. Different kind of back, but he's uh, he hasn't got a lot of miles on the tyres, so he sat behind uh, Barkley, didn't he, at Penn State? So I think that yeah. he's a potential option. And then further down, you're looking at guys like probably a little bit more left field, the likes of Bryce Love and Ron, Rodney Anderson, both backs who've had injury issues. But a sort of different types of backs. But if they could stay fit, um, they could probably be useful in the system we're going to operate. I quite like LJ Scott from Michigan, um, and then two sort of speedier backs, if you like to mention, would be Daryl Henderson, who would probably be available in the sort of fourth or fifth round, and also Justice Hill from Oklahoma State. So those would be my guys. But there is probably another five or six that you could throw names at because they are sort of 
the talent level across the running back crop is probably condensed between sort of late third at best and then sort of early sixth round. I don't know what you think, Peter, but that's why I have most of the running backs. It's just a case of what fits your Uh, your preference. Uh, yeah, I think that's exact. I think that's exactly right. I think you know, ignore Josh Jacobs. He's going to go in the first round. I think to somebody. You know, there'll be a team somewhere late first round that will that will that will take him. Um, and then I think you've got this whole group of guys. Yeah, probably eight or nine guys that could go anywhere from almost late second, early third, through to as, as Andy says, through to the sixth round, and and almost in any order. Yeah. You know, just depending on on. on on what you're looking for, you know, whether you're looking for a, you know, a, a pass catching back out of the backfield or a heavy duty ball carrier. Um, it's a couple of guys that Andy mentioned there. I know that, you know, he really likes, likes Bryce Love, who is 2017 was better than 2018 when he was, when he was beat up. And, you know, if, if he, if he drops to the fourth or fifth or sixth round, somewhere in that area, somebody's potentially getting a real steal with that, with that guy. You know, and and the other one I like, and Andy mentioned, is 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 Rodney Anderson of Oklahoma, um, and you know tore up his ACL this this past year. So there's always that big question mark, but going into the year, you know, you're looking at that guy as, as probably a second round pick with the potential during the 2018 season to have to have advanced his course to be a first round pick. So if you can get that guy in the fourth round, for example, you know you've again potentially got a got a steal there. So, yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think they're going to be looking for a running back around the fourth roundish kind of kind of area, and I think it's you know it's just going to depend on on what guys drop that far. And if you were to give us two or three names then to watch out for, and for people listening to this podcast and reading this draft guide, two or three names that we could potentially pick up in that area, uh, Peter, who would you throw out there to say that we should be pretty happy if they get called? Well, I, I think if I think if if you get as far as the the the, the fourth round, mm. then I then I think then I think I, I like Rodney Anderson. I like Bryce Love. Um, slightly earlier than that, then you're looking at I I as Andy does. I like I like David Montgomery of Iowa State. Yeah, and Andy, what, would you agree with all of those names, or is there any other names that you try to say we'd be jumping up with joy now if we if we got them? If I had, yeah, I think Montgomery, if he drops to three or four, I think that'd be a, the perfect fit for the Packers. Um, yeah, on a different sort of scale, I like Justice Hill. I think he would be a bit of a left field option, but I think third down back potential, yeah, particularly catching the short, sort of short screen passes and things of that nature. Miles Sanders strikes me as a good fit for longer term. Um, uh, and like you alluded to already, Anderson, Love, uh, Daryl Henderson's a guy to look out for potentially as well. And then one late round sleeper would be LJ Scott from Michigan State. Yeah. Um, he's, he's potentially a guy to look for as well. So there's probably six or seven names there, but some of the backs that are in there, I just don't see that they fit the Packers. Um, I, I, if there was a big heavy bruiser in there somewhere, I'm not really sure Peter's got his eyes on anybody, but I don't really see it. I think they probably need both types. I, I would like to see a sort of a niftier back, if you like, that we could use on third downs. Um, and I'd like to see a bit of a bruiser. Because uh, Williams and Jones sort of are in between, aren't they? Yeah. Williams is a bit of a bruiser, but he's not a, a massive guy, is he? And by all accounts, he's sort of lost a bit of weight in the off-season as well. It's, it's come in rather ripped. So, um, yeah, potentially maybe we'll go the drafted route with one and maybe go the undrafted route with another. And have a look at it. I think we'll be definitely more than two backs come in the uh, pre-season. Yeah, because it's an interesting point, actually, because when we look at the fullbacks then, 
an awful lot of these are converts, aren't they, Peter? Like in in your sort of top rankings, you're looking at these guys and saying their best bet. They were meant to be a tight end, and they were tight ends in college, but they're probably best bet as a fullback. Do we do we go here in the draft for the Packers? Um, you know, and, and fill that need for a third down back, or do we just sort of stay away and deal with Vitali as we have him, the Mister Mister Tattoo yeah. Instagram boy? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if 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 it was me, I'd be very, I'd be very surprised. Yeah, you know, if there was a draft pick spent on on a on a fullback, you know, um, not only by the Packers, there won't be many draft picks spent on fullbacks by 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 any <laughs> any of the teams. You know, a, a, it's a a dying position, if you like. And uh, you know, in today's pass-heavy offenses, and and you know, there just aren't those guys out there. Um, you know, and and you know, one or two will appear in camp. You know, as as undrafted as undrafted free agents. You know, like like Vitali ended up making the roster late in the year, and. I just, I just don't, I just don't see a move in that direction. Yeah, and just to remind people, they can get this fifty-five page draft guide um, on ukparkers.co.uk forward slash two thousand nineteen draft guide, or just go to the site and hit the blog. So I guess we're getting into the meaty stuff now because I think we're in agreement that quarterback is just a long shot and kind of just one of those weird talking points as a, as we come into the draft. Um, and again, to remind people of that, it's on Thursday at midnight is the first round. Um, and then we have it Friday and Saturday again. Friday is starts at 11pm and then after that it starts at about 6pm then on the Saturday. It should all be done and dusted early enough, I guess, um, on the Saturday. And just uh, keep your eyes peeled um, at UK Packers, at IT Hedgehog and at Pooley Shrew for all the hot takes. Now, wide receiver, lads. I mean, this is something that people have been sort of uh, pointing towards and saying that there's there's some lads in here who are pretty intriguing. Now we saw we picked up some pretty intriguing lads last year with MVS and ESB, and we saw them flip flop in game time as Mike McCarthy shuffled out with his box of possessions. Um, so and then we have Geronimo Allison, who was injured, so he didn't really put an awful lot, uh, you know, on the field last year. And again in the draft guide, we hit on these free agents. Um, Geronimo Allison is one of those free agents and it's stated in the piece that you know I guess the jury's out on him he's gonna have to stay healthy and he his measurables match up pretty I don't know favorably or unfavorably depending on how you look at it uh, with MVS and ESB so we have a couple of young uh, tall uh, streaky guys there do we delve into wide receiver Andy in this draft and is there an awful lot of value to be had if we assume that we go offensive line, defensive line, pass rusher, and tight end. They're all the needs that we need to hit first before we even get to these guys. Or is there a guy that could sort of, you know, bend your arm to a degree and say, no, if he's still on the board, go for him round one or two? Yeah, I've gone round in circles on this one. It's going to be, I'd like to see us draft a, a, a specific slot receiver. Yeah. Um, but it depends, you know, if he goes the other way and drafts the tight end really high you'd have to question whether there's going to be enough playing time for a third receiver per se. So it'll be either or for me, I think. I think that'll be the way it goes. If we go in the direction of tight end in, in round one, then I would be surprised if they also added another receiver because it just won't be the There's not enough balls to go around, is there? Uh, but however, out of the wide receiver crop that there is, um, I would imagine it'd be round two if they're going to go that direction. That that would be my sort of um, landing spot for wide receiver, and the two guys that I like the the, the biggest fit for the Packers would be uh, Debo Samuel and uh, AJ Brown. Those are the two guys that I would um, see as the best fit for the Packers. Um, later on, I think there's probably a couple of guys, but as I alluded to on a previous podcast, I just don't see the point. They've got to be better than what we've already got, 
and we've seen what it, you know potential the MVS and the SB have got. We we know what Allison brings to the table, and then you've also got Jamon Moore and to see what you know. I think that he had a rough season by all accounts, but I think the potential's still there. And Roger speaks highly of him, doesn't he? So yeah. that's always a glowing indictment that that there's potential there. So we've potentially got five really good, you know, really good receivers if you're going to get that year one to year two growth as well. So. Um, the guys that I like, Gary Jennings, you know, the guy from Ohio, uh, Terry McLaurin, um, Emmanuel Hall, which is the same college as Jamal Moore is from. Yeah. So those are potential guys. It may look. I like Anthony Johnson from Buffalo. He might be going uh, sort of around them, round five sort of mark. Um, but but they would just be speculative picks for me. Um, we'd like to see somebody brought in that could help special teams as well. Um, I know Trevor Davis says we're going to have that conversation yet again aren't we at some point <laughs> I know yeah we'll have, yeah. We have to revisit that one so Andy Peter Andy's mentioned uh, Debo Samuel you have him number 7 on your rankings and AJ Brown is number 3 you give them a good write up in this piece how do you feel about going wide receiver early enough are you in the same inclination that if you go a tight end that a wide receiver um, isn't taken particularly one that can play the slot because what always struck me was is after we got Jimmy Graham I thought the writing was on the wall for Randall Cobb um, and it was the same when we got Bennett I was thinking well the writing's on the wall for Randall Cobb and then he ended up having some pretty standout games because they went to him for whatever reason um, you know h- how do you see this come on uh, going Pete? Well I, I think that along with the safety position I found you know and Andy and I talked at length about the safeties and I, and I, I I found the wide receiver position probably the hardest one to rank in this whole draft. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's little doubt that, that, that DK Metcalf will go in the first half of the first round. You know, that, you know, it could be as high as, you know, six or seven. It could be 13 or 14. When no, nobody's quite sure. And I, and, and, I, and I do have to believe that if, if he's sitting there at 12, um, that it would be tempting, I think, for Goot to take him. You know, we don't know where he is on the on the Packers board, but you've got to believe that he's in the top 15. So I think if he's sitting there at 12 and it's your pick, I think we would be tempted. Um, but uh, but after after Metcalf, I you know I again I think there's about eight or nine guys that you could almost put in in any order from late first round through to probably early third round. So I, so I expect about 10 wide receivers to be drafted from Metcalf through to kind of um, the end of the second round, beginning of the third round. I think there'll be a whole run on wide receivers. And and there's lots of differing opinion about, about these guys. And I think that's because they come in all shapes and sizes and do particular roles. Um, so it just depends on what you're, on what you're looking for. I think, I think the worst thing that could happen would be to draft another guy who's similar to what you've already got because that, because that just seems a pointless exercise um, to me. So I think from a Packers perspective, you're looking at somebody that's different to what you already have. And I think Debo Samuel that Andy's, you know, picked out a couple of times now, I think, you know, fits that slot receiver role, superb with the ball in his hands, making, making defenders miss, I think I think he's you know really good, and if you can get him at you know with the forty fourth pick, then I think you've got good value there. So it wouldn't be picking wide receiver wouldn't be my ideal thing to do, but I don't think it's out of the question that they take one in in 
The only one that could go at 12 is Metcalf. It wouldn't be my choice, but I don't think it's out of the question that they take one at 30 or they take one at 44. But I agree with Andy. I think if they've taken a tight end mm. uh, earlier, then I think you know they're likely to look somewhere else. Now, Andy, going down the mad route, um, everybody expects them, and we're going to get to tight ends now, but just before we do, is there a possibility that they see more value in a slot receiver like Debo Samuel and to sort of not settle for Fant because he's an outstanding talent, but maybe work further down the tight end rankings um, and go for someone like Debo Samuel first? Or do you see anything like that potentially happening? Or is tight end, do you think, too high on their board to do something like that? No, you've got it bang on. I think it's a... Uh, just go back to what Peter's saying and trying to encapsulate what you're, the point you're making there is DK Metcalf may well be there at 12, but he is a real Marmite pick, isn't he? I think some people... Yeah really like him and some people have a real issue with, with the lack of movement skills he, he could be a beast he, he may be a, a total flop I, I I don't know but on paper mm. it's quite exciting to think that he would be lined up across from Devontae Adams and with the talent we've already got that, that is quite a scary wide receiver court on paper isn't it so um, I wouldn't be disappointed with that pick I would be if we took Marquise Brown um, he's, a, he's a £170 ringing wet uh, <laughs> and I don't and I don't think that he's you know, NFL ready. I just don't see that. He'll be a, an explosive player. There's been some special teams players there, which we desperately need. I get that. But but being banded around as a number one pick is not for me. There is a load of receivers further down that I really don't want, that people are sticking in mocks. Nikhil Harry, Mr. Whiteside, because he's got a double-barrel name, so that must be, he must be signing for the Packers because <laughs> he's got a double-barrel name. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Isabella, Harmon, Boykin, I could go on and on and on down the list. There's just there's quite a few receivers that just don't float my boat for one reason or another. Trust the eyes. And also, to Peter's point, what's the point in getting the same players that we've already got, that have already got a year's season and in the system that we've got? So there's a, there's a load of receivers for me that I just wouldn't touch with a barge ball. Um, I think it needs to be a certain niche type of player that we need that offers something different. Um I think there's one or two tight ends emerged that we'll probably run onto in a minute over the last sort of couple of months that could be options to the two guys that we've been enamoured for since since sort of Christmas, really. The two guys from Iowa, so we'll obviously get onto that. Yeah, and you always have an interesting take, Andy, as well, is that um, both you guys sort of come out with the with the similar stuff of, you know, trust your eyes, don't always trust what the, these other analysts are saying, see what you see. And then also you just have this knack of, of seeing a player who's outstanding or good or well-touted or maybe even under the radar and saying he's great but not for us, um, which is a really interesting way to sort of eliminate that. It's almost like uh, who wants to be a millionaire, you know? <laughs> you pick the kind of, eh, you know, let's eliminate sort of 50-50, let's get those ads that they don't really fit the Packers. Now let's get on to tight end. This is a massive talking point that has been for a while now. TJ Hawkinson, um, who again, who's, who's depending on who you read, he jumps up and down draft boards. Some people say he's top 10. Other people say that New England, they're going to make a play and start trading stuff about the place to try and move up to get a guy like him to replace Gronk. And um, we really don't know what's going to happen. And Noah Fant, you know, graded off the charts uh, during the combine, but they sort of say he's not as good of a, an all-rounder as Hawkinson. He's not as good as a blocker as Hawkinson. But then um, I think, Peter, you stayed in your piece, don't you, that he can grow into that kind of, of thing. Um, so Peter for you is tight end like what do we do with this first pick I mean do we trade out if Hawkinson's gone and go eh, we might get Fant we might get Irv Smith Jr and then go for a different position maybe defensive line or is tight end really the be all and end all for you to try get a successor 
uh, to Jimmy Graham. Not saying that he's, you know, he's stood out since he's been with Green Bay, but someone to be more long term. Yeah, it, it, it's it's not a be all and end all pick at twelve yeah. for me. Um, I would like to see them get a quality quality tight end. Uh, you know, on the basis that you know Graham's got one year, maybe two years. He's got two years left on his on his contract, but whether he plays the third year, I I don't know. Um, but but there is a point in time where you have to say I need to get my tight end for the future and and also understand, you know that the, the guy's not likely to come in and catch eighty balls in his first year. You know it's very it's very unlikely. So let's not judge a guy on it, on his first year on his first year production. Mm. Um, so so I'd like to see them get one. I'd like to see them get one reasonably high, but it's not um, the be all and end all that they get that they get one at twelve. I I. You know, I've long been of the opinion, Steve, that when we get to 12 and, and, and a whole bunch of these guys are still on the board, you know, that you could get to 12 and Hawkinson's still on the board. Metcalf, who we've just talked about, is still on the board. You know, there's four or five others that we haven't got to yet. Offense, offensive linemen and defensive linemen and, you know, even Devin Bush, the inside linebacker. If five or six of those guys are on the board and you kind of value all of those relatively equally then then you you've got to look at trading down yeah because you can still you know if you can get a suitor obviously to trade with you but you know but if you can trade down to 16 17 18 and still get one of those guys why would you not do that um so so i think that's that for me has always been what appears to be the most the most sensible move now it, it could be that you get to 12 and an Ed Oliver's dropped to you. And I know we haven't got to the defensive lineman, but, but you know, there's a guy that you expect to go in the top six or seven that drops to you at 12 that you're thinking, I've just got to take him. He's too good not to take. Um, but going back to the tight end. So I think that, yeah, Hawkinson for me is clearly the most polished one coming out this year. Um, I think he's the one that can, can come in and start and play and contribute, um, immediately it may well be though that that long term that that Fant turns out to be a more effective tight end in the pros we just don't know so you, so you're kind of in this in-between situation where am i looking for a guy that's going to come in very polished excellent hands hawkinson has superb hands um we know we know that he's a an excellent blocker and we know that that's what lafleur likes in his you know in his tight ends in his offense so he's an immediate starting fit for the Packers, without any doubt in in, in my mind. Um, but Fant, you know, if Fant's there at thirty, which I doubt he'll be there at thirty, but if Fant was there at thirty, you, you jump in at taking him if you haven't taken one earlier. In in my view, I think after those two, is there's Irv Smith, who's a more of a receiving tight end, second round second round grade, and then I think there's a drop off after that. So, you know, we've got three guys already on the on the roster. So, I, I, you know, I, I think they'll draft one somewhere because I think they'll go into the season with four. Um, you know, I think they went into the season with five last year, but I think they'll go in with four this year. But that could be one of these early guys, or it could be a guy, you know, a guy later on, a, a Jay Sternberger in the third or fourth round, or something like that. So, Andy, where are your uh 
colors on the master do you think that they they die, die feet first in for a guy like hawkinson or no i was in the background chanting trade down trade down trade down. <laughs> um I, I want the toast to draft i would have to go down and then come back up so that's where i'm at i think i would like to see <laughs> the option where we've got you know five people of the same value is is more than likely to happen isn't it that's a scenario that's going to present itself and um, for, for as much as I, I, I do really like the two t- tight ends from Iowa, I can see that it potentially is not going to happen um, as much as I'd like it to. But I think there's potentially greater needs and I think they probably see two or three players a little bit further down in the draft that they they see potential in as well that they might pick up instead. So um, I would like us to take one because I think it would solidify the position for the next sort of five or six years. Yeah. I think they'll both be superb players in the NFL. So if there's a way that Gooty can make it happen, um, then yeah, I'm just not comfortable at 12 doing either pick. And I don't think they'll make 30. So you're, you're caught between the devil and the deep blue sea yeah. there, which is why I would rather we sort of trade back a little bit, get some value. And then if we're at 30 and we're still hanging about at 24, 25 with those tight ends there, then I would be moving back up to pick those players up. Yeah, um, so, so we could we could certainly see a scenario where the Packers trade down from twelve to say seventeen. Let's say they pick up an ex an extra second or third rounder for doing that, and then they use that second or third rounder to move back up from thirty yeah. to to you know twenty two or something like that to get one of those guys. So I, I I absolutely believe that that's a that's a that's a scenario as long as you've got those you know trading partners who want to trade with you in place. It's a very, very odd draft, isn't it? I mean, it strikes me as kind of, you know, when you're in college and maybe even uh, after you get out of college and you get your first couple of jobs and you're broke, no cash, and you're kind of hoping that you get, you know, you'd find a fiver in your pocket even just to get a few, you know, pot noodles or something. And then, you know, you work and you're comfortable enough, you get a bit of savings, and then you get a big bonus in work, and then you find 50 quid under the couch. It's kind of like, Jesus Christ, do I need this now? And, you know, it's like for years we've hoped that we would, you know, land a little bit higher, but then somehow not want to have to give up, uh, you know, so many games to losses. And now we've done that, but it seems like there's so many players of good value that we can get and trade down that we don't particularly need it, Andy. Is that not the case? Yeah, I think I'd much rather have a... I don't know, a handful of picks in between picks 25 and 90 than, than the picks where we currently sit, you know, at 12 and 30. It's just, it's just where the, the value is, isn't it? And then, yeah. I, I think it's a, I think it's a really odd, odd draft. And you know, you've got four or five players at the top of the draft who are kind of solidified at the top. Um, and the asterisk on that is we don't know what the Raiders will do at four because they're likely to do something completely off the wall and pick a guy that, you know, that yeah. Yeah, long stopper. But they've got no, they've got no scout. Got no <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but, but, but you know, there's four or five guys solidified, if you like, at the top of the draft, and maybe if you throw Ed Oliver into that, there's six guys solidified at the top. But after that, there's almost the next fifteen to twenty players could almost go in any order, you know. So that just says to you that. You know there has to be value in 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 trading down. I can you know I can get potentially the seventh best guy in the dra- in the draft at seventeen. Yeah, and that's the that's the way that this you know this thing's gonna gonna pan out. I think it's it's odd. Very strange. Uh, yeah, and that's the thing. You, but you still know right that if we do trade down, that there's a certain section of Packers Twitter who will go ballistic because someone obviously would be traded that was one of those six that are valued the same. Uh, like you're talking about, Peter. And that's someone like, oh my god, I can't believe we didn't get you know Metcalf was there and we didn't get him. This is this is ridiculous. You know, brought Goody out and they're gonna go bananas. 
Okay, so we're gonna actually cut it there and we're gonna make this a two-part series, which you'll probably know already because the clue is in the name, part one. So check in tomorrow and we'll discuss the rest of the position groupings and a couple of under the radar picks. This is the pre-draft coverage by UK Packers. Uh, you can find that draft preview on ukpackers.co.uk. Go to the blog section and it's under there or type in ukpackers.co.uk forward slash 2019 draft preview. Um, so chat to you in about 24 hours.